Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's 4 o'clock. This is Southern California Live on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine. Welcome in on the first uh, Southern California Live show in the Advent season. Yesterday, the first Sunday in Advent, we've been talking about Christmas and hymns and Advent and about worship. This is a season of reflection and worship, a season when our hearts are to be tuned to the coming of Christ, the first coming and the second coming. And and I want to spend some time in this hour talking about uh, the the act of worship, not just personally, but corporately. I want to talk about how we're doing in, a, in our corporate worship. And uh, I've got a friend who's going to join us to, to have this conversation with us. I guess it was maybe six, seven years ago that um, Marianne and I were out at Forest Home. Have you been to Forest Home Camp? Out in out uh, east of San Bernardino, up in the San Bernardino Mountains, it's a it's a beautiful. There's a youth camp, and then there's a family camp. We were out there speaking at the family camp, and um, it's one of the things we look forward to. In fact, we're going to be out there again this summer. But uh, our worship leader that week was a guy named Justin Unger, and I I didn't know Justin was not familiar with with him or. Uh, he had, he'd been a recording artist. I was not aware of his, actually I'd, I'd heard of the, the group that he was a part of called, uh, uh, across the sky. Is that what it is? Across the sky. I think that's right. And, and, uh, so I was familiar with that, but I didn't know Justin, but I here, here's what happened in that week as he was leading us in worship, Marianne and I looked at each other and went, this is what it's supposed to be. It was head and heart being brought together for for the worship of Christ in a way that was uh, th- that ministered to our soul but also engaged our our mind and Justin was he was just great at that and so I I connected with him during that week we we talked about stuff we got involved in doing some other stuff together we've known each other now over the last 7 8 years as I said and have done a number of things together he's he heads a, a ministry called Likewise Worship and I'm going to have him tell you about that. He's written a book called Do Likewise, Rediscovering the Purpose of the Worship Pastor. And so I, I want to talk about worship and about what that should look like in a corporate setting. And, and Justin's the best person I know to do that. So Justin, welcome. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Hey, Bob, how are you? Am I coming in clear? Loud and clear. Good to uh, good to have you here, and uh, nice to connect. We were just together about a month ago out in Phoenix at an event, and uh, uh, I always look forward to being able to spend time. And you you led worship, and it was a great weekend. So thank you for that. Tell people listening about well before we tell them about likewise worship. Tell them a little bit of your story because it's an interesting story. You started off in music. I want to go all the way back. Growing up in Phoenix, you were just a musical kid, right? Yeah, I started playing piano by ear at the age 10. 
And uh, when I got into my teenage years, I started making up melodies. And uh, it was just kind of bizarre because I really didn't know that much about music. I, I tried taking piano lessons, but my piano teacher fired me, which I know that's kind of like in reverse because usually you, you get rid of your piano teacher. But she had to fire me because I refused to learn how to read music. I was kind of one of those stubborn musicians um, that I just I heard the music in my head. Um, and I would just figure out how to play it. And so um, so I just have always had this love of the mystery of music and the wonder of it. And so as a young kid, was playing piano, and then in my teenage years, I'm starting to make up these melodies that were just floating around in my head, sometimes even in the early morning of the, of the day, two, two in the morning, I would wake up and... I would go to my piano where I had some headphones, this digital piano that my parents had gotten me and would record all these melodies. And my grandfather, who was actually my closest friend and was discipling me through my teenage years, and he would write the lyrics to the melodies that I would make up. Hmm. And so he and I grew really close as co-writers, writing songs that were steeped in the truths of scripture. So he would, he would write poems from scripture. He would, whether it was from the gospels or through from the Psalms, reworking the Psalms into, you know, fresh poetry. And we would then create these beautiful songs that we would share with the church. Um, and that ended up uh, getting me into a, a music conference up in Estes Park, Colorado, when I was 18 years old, I ended up submitting some songs to this conference, and it was kind of a competition as well. And then I started singing these songs at this contest, and I ended up winning the entire grand prize, which hmm. surprised all of us. <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't know that that was what the Lord had in store for us, so I ended up winning the grand prize, which what came along with that was a record contract in, in Nashville, Tennessee. So right out of that co contest, I ended up moving to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, about five months after that, and um, signed a record deal with Warner Brothers and started developing an artist career as a, as a performer. Um, CCM, Christian Pop Music, which was the band that you referenced called Across the Sky. We kind of formed this duo. And with that, it was, you know, just this big open door and opportunity for me to grow as an artist. And um, uh, how much more of the story do you want me to get into? You want me well, to get to the point where I was leading worship? I'll get you to that, but I'm just curious, was there, as you were writing songs and as a teenager, was there a pull? To, did you want to be Elton John and Billy Joel, or did you always want to write songs about Jesus? <laughs> That's a great question. It's funny you say that, because I would have people that would ask me to write like a love song or or maybe even something that, about like a relationship, and I just could never figure out how to do that. All of my songs would, would always go back to Scripture. And so... 
Uh, I was always inspired by Michael W. Smith as a kid. I loved his style. And even if you hear my music now, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that was totally inspired by Michael W. Smith. But, but yeah, so I wasn't as much of an Elton John uh, or Billy Joel fan as much as, as I was Michael W. Smith. But then at the same time, just loving the Word of God and wanting to use music as a way to communicate God's Word to the masses, if that makes sense. So you're signed with Warner Brothers as a duo. You're out on the road doing all of that. You did that for five years. Was that fulfilling? I mean, you look back on that and did you go, that was really a special time? Or do you look back on that and go, yeah, not so much? Yeah, you know, it was a special time. You know, and I I related a lot to like a college experience. When you hear people talk about their college years, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but for me, I, I didn't get the chance to go to formal college because right out of high school, I signed that deal and I was thrown onto the road. So I would say, you know, there's pros and cons to every season, but I would say for the most part, it was a really great experience for me to grow and learn and to really lock in to what I really felt God was calling me to do. And and that, you know, that led me down this, this crazy journey of, just this identity of, you know, am I a performer? Am I an entertainer in this way? Or, or what does that look like? And it wasn't until I got married, I got married pretty young out there to my wife now of of 18 years, but we got married and, and seeing the challenges of, of having a family and having a touring lifestyle, I just, it was kind of a turnoff for me. I, I did not feel like that was the road that I was called to be on, on the road. And I, I just felt like it'd be, it, it was, I, I just felt like the Lord was really leading me in a different direction. Um, but I didn't really know what that was until I, I found the local church, which I grew up in the local church, but I didn't really realize that God might have had a place for me um, to build his kingdom in the local church context, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I'm thinking of most people who are your age, newly married, and they're thinking, let's see, I could go do arenas and stadiums and be the next Michael W. Smith, or I could go be a worship pastor at a local church. Hmm, which of those do I want to do more, right? And... and <laughs> I mean, was that a tension for you to say, gee, it feels like going to the local church is like a backward step here? Absolutely, yes. There was a lot of tension in that, but I feel like the five years that I was on the road, and it felt like almost 24-7, I was on the road all through North and South America, touring with big artists and on the tour bus, in the arenas for as the opening act. But I saw and experienced enough for me to realize that this was not the path that that I I felt God was leading me on. And I know there are some people that that are really good at it and can 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 manage through that. But I just with my upbringing and with my the priorities that God had put on my heart. You know, my grandfather, who I told you about, who had discipled me, one of his dying wishes uh, of me, and someone got this on video. Bob, I'll have to send it to you someday, but but they asked, hey, what what message would you like to send your grandson, Justin, as he moves to Nashville, Tennessee, and 
He's like, well, he says, well, we're just praying that his heart stays close to the Lord and that he doesn't become a performer, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And my grandpa came from the performance world. He was a famous radio rock and roll DJ. He was in front of people all the time. And so he saw the ins and outs of that. But he had this prayer and desire for me not to become this rock star, because I think he had some insight on what that could um, end up becoming. And so I always held on to that. What does it mean to be a performer? And uh, is there a way um, to leverage this musical gifting, uh, but not let it go to my head and become all consumed with myself and my career? And that's when I had that wrestling match with the Lord, where I was just feeling like, Lord, who am I? What have you made me to be? Which led me to the local church. Tell listeners about how the record company responded when you said, I, my, my girlfriend and I are going to get married. <laughs> yeah, so my Fallon, my wife and I, we had been dating for a couple years. She then had just graduated high school. And we knew that the Lord was leading us to, to get married. You know, we had, we had um, spent a lot of time just growing in the Lord together and really seeking God with our relationship and putting the Lord first. Um, but we also knew that we did not want to continue on um, uh, alone. We want, even in the music industry, I wanted to have um, my wife at my side as my support and um, and I needed it. I needed her help, not just spiritually, but um, but just just on the road, having someone as a companion. And and so um, when I told the record label that I was engaged to be married, they tend to take my record deal away because they said it hurts my marketability to the single teenage girls that buy the music and their moms. <laughs> Is that hilarious? So, so they they were basically saying, if you get married, there's no record deal left for you. Yeah, they threatened to take it away. They said, hey, if, if you end up getting married, we we want you to postpone the wedding for two or three more years. Wow. We want. They basically wanted to capitalize on the fact that I was a single twenty year old uh, <laughs> that could could attract a certain listener, I guess, to buy the the music. And that was another big red flag to me, which showed that, you know, this was way more of a business than a ministry. And it just kind of gave me a gross taste in my mouth uh, Mm -hmm. when it comes to what I felt the Lord leading me to do. And so, yeah, isn't that funny? So you, you wound up then becoming a worship pastor at a church. Is this when you went to Prescott, Arizona, and as was, was a worship pastor there? Yeah, this church in Prescott, Arizona, that we had actually toured through Prescott, northern Arizona, um, on one of our tours. And they had found out that, um, that our, the band I was in had disbanded. And so they reached out to me and said, hey, I know you're from Phoenix. If you ever have any desire to to come back to Arizona, we have a position at our church where you could be a worship leader. And I didn't think at all that that would be what I should do until I visited there. They they had me go. Uh, they flew Fallon and I out there, and I, I visited with that community. And my grandpa used to always tell me, hey, be careful not to go on staff at, at a church, because there's a lot of politics in the church, too. So, 
So I always had these these words of wisdom from my grandpa just to 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 stay on course with you know making sure that ministry doesn't become about me and and I think he had some good insight to that. But anyway, so I I went there and visited and um, led worship that Sunday morning and just this light turned on and it just was like I fell in love with the local church. And I think the part that I fell mostly in love with was the fact that I'm not performing for anybody and that this my job as a worship leader is to get other people, get the body, get the people of God singing together. When the Lord really started to open my eyes to the joy that comes from accomplishing that goal, if I can create an environment and um, and be really intentional about allowing the body of Christ to come together and get them singing together, hearing each other's voices and feeling unified, it was just so rewarding uh, to hear God's people uh, be unified in that way. And so it was like this light turned on, this passion began to brew in my heart, and I just just fell deeply in love with the local church and that role that God had given me. We're talking with Justin Unger, worship leader, the head of Likewise Worship, author of a book called Do Likewise. And and you you said something there that I think we can't rush past, which is, this idea that the role of a worship pastor is not to be a performer, but to get a local congregation engaged in singing. I, I, Justin, I sometimes walk into churches and I think there are worship pastors who have lost sight of that or forgotten that, or they've watched other people and they think, I think my job is to go put on the best worship show I can and hope people join in with us. Yeah, you're right. And we, uh, we we find that it's very dangerous these days, and it's everywhere, because there's this measure of success for worship leaders to become these worship artists, these rock stars. And our worship in America has become very entertainment-driven, where a lot of people even choose where they're going to attend church by how entertaining or high-quality the music is, which doesn't always translate to healthy biblical worship, which um, when when the Lord really revealed that to me when I was back in Prescott, that this can become very dangerously um, self-giving, I guess, where I'm pointing people to myself other than to the Lord as a musician. It just became really alarming to me, and I just started putting together this concept of training up worship leaders, discipling worship pastors to be selfless and shepherding in the way they lead so that people can encounter the presence of God and not be distracted by the created as much as um, glorifying the Creator. Does that make sense, Bob? It, it does. And and explain for listeners what it is that you're doing now with Likewise Worship and this this cohort that you've put together of worship leaders to try to, to recast this vision. Oh yeah. So likewise worship, we, we are, we are a preventative and restorative ministry. The preventative side is we're, we're basically training up and discipling the next generation of worship leaders to do just that, to be shepherding and humble in the way that they lead. And we're learning that if you don't catch this, um, if you don't, 
catch this identity crisis while these young leaders are in high school or in early college age, then it's really hard to get that out of their system. So we have a new um, branch of our ministry called the Likewise Academy that is actually preparing their hearts to be shepherding and leadership while they're even young and falling in love with the people of God and the idea that it's our job as musicians and worship leaders to use music as a binding force for the body of Christ, getting the people of God singing together. So we're trying to instill that biblical truth into the hearts of these young leaders at a young age. But then the restorative part of our ministry is we actually pursue the leaders that have burned out, because that's that's what happens when 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 the rock star mentality gets into our heads is it starts to burn us out because the bar just continues to get pushed up higher and and you can't reach it and then you just feel like you're not measuring up to the church down the street which creates burnout and so that performance driven culture in the church is really killing a lot of uh the passion and callings that a lot of these gifted worship leaders uh have and so we pursue those leaders that are burning out or the ones that have fallen into sin or the ones whose marriages are falling apart and we have restorative care that we do for them and their marriages, their family and their calling. We have annual retreats that we do that. We have monthly gatherings where they come together in California, Arizona. We're launching um, likewise in St. Louis, Minneapolis and Seattle here uh, this coming year. And so there's really cool things happening with that. But our heart is really to disciple the hearts of these leaders to get that performance-driven mentality out of their mindset and get back to the simple truth that God desires that we would be one with one another. Jesus even prayed that in John 17, that, that they may be one as Christ and the Father are one. And we've seen music and our worship together unify God's people like nothing else. I know, Bob, you understand that, just leading you in worship uh, at our the events we've been. It's just so cool to see how quickly you get pulled into the presence of the Lord, and you and Marianne just have the radiance on your face of the beauty of hearing God's people singing together. It's yes. so cool. Justin Unger joining us. We're talking about worship and the purpose of worship and the work that he's doing to to, to call worship leaders back to their their main calling. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation and and uh, talk more about this. You're welcome to join us at 888-52-TALKS. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. That's the song, Always Good. Our guest, Justin Unger. That's who's singing that and who wrote that song. Justin heads a ministry called Likewise Worship, working with worship pastors, worship leaders across America to to call them back to what a worship pastor or worship leader is supposed to be. Some of this, Justin, is born out of where you and Fallon found yourselves after a number of years of being a worship pastor in the local church, uh, you said that it was, when you were doing it, it was like, this is what I'm made to do. But a few years into it, you were on the edge of burnout, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, I'm kind of an overachiever, Bob. You know that about me. I I, I want to give my best and give my all, and I know a lot of people can relate to that. And so even in ministry, it was my this church in Prescott, this was my first time ever serving on staff at a church. And so I would always justify um, the extra, extra hours that I would put in taking on new projects as just kingdom work. I would just think, well, I'm, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, and if I don't fix these problems, and whether it was the the website or graphics or the campus or the the volunteers or whatever, I mean, there were so many things to be done. I I took it on because I'm kind of a high capacity person, and so I didn't realize, but I was I was burning myself out and. We were at the church we were at was rapidly growing and um, quickly becoming what we what we call a mega church now, which we didn't set out for that. It just naturally started happening where it just became this bright beacon in our community. But I just I didn't know how to delegate, you know, and the, the reason why we started this ministry was because I know there's so many pastors out there who were never given um some of that preventative uh, care. No, they weren't, just like us, we weren't given a heads up on, hey, get ready for this. You're going to experience this, and you're going to experience this. Um, and it wasn't until it was almost too late. It wasn't too late. We, my, my marriage, you know, stayed healthy through this, but we got to a point where I was having all kinds of stress-related illnesses, stuff that was uh, I was actually going blind in my right eye from stress. Oh. Uh, the doctors found shingles on my optic nerve, and he said the only way to fix this and to recover from this is I have to completely change my lifestyle and how I work. And I just, I didn't really know how to, to biblically rest. I couldn't turn my mind off, and a lot of leaders, church leaders, struggle with this. And it's not just church leaders, it's most people. Uh, that, that love what they do. And so um, the Lord really stopped me in my tracks, and that's when Psalm 23 came alive in my heart, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And that's what happened, is through that and a few other uh, pretty big challenges in my life, the Lord, lay, he had to make me lie down because I didn't know I was stressed. And and so, yeah, that was a really interesting time in my life because that could have gone south really fast, but God really protected me. And it was then that one of my mentors actually said, Justin, you know what your problem is? He, he said, you actually think you're more important than you really are, <laughs> which was so true, because I thought all of this is going to fall apart in the church if, if I don't do it. And then he said, you just need to realize that God's kingdom will continue on just fine without you. And that really shook me up, because I it made me realize that God doesn't need me. I mean, I think he desires that I would use the gifts he's given me for his kingdom, but he, he would rather me uh, prioritize the things that, that he's put first and foremost in my life, which was, you know, my relationship with him, uh, my, my relationship with my wife and my kids, and then, 
and then my own physical health, you know, and I wasn't valuing a lot of that because I just, I just was going at it too hard in the ministry, but, but the Lord got a hold of me. And from then on, he put this passion in my heart to help other leaders uh, realize that truth before they get too far down the road. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think a lot of listeners are probably thinking to themselves, now, wait a sec, the worship pastor is getting stressed out with too much to do. I mean, what we think is, okay, here's what the worship pastor has to do. Sit around and play music with the guys and rehearse the songs and then do them on Sunday morning. And like, how much stress is there in that? Come on. (laughs) I know. Isn't that funny? So many people think that, like of musicians, like, oh, man, you guys are doing what you love. It's not work. It's just, you know, which is so funny because that that even thought process um, is kind of dangerous because there's a lot of pastors that actually think that. So they minimize um, the reality of what their worship pastor is really going through in the church and there's a lot more that goes into the role of a worship pastor than a lot of people think. At times for me, I mean, my, my position in the church was all-consuming. I, I struggled finding a day off because my mind was, was thinking about the worship set, how, how the music in the, in the worship set is like the glue, but it's also like a movie score. So the worship leader is the one who bookends the service, so everything ties together. So I have to make sure I've got all my ducks in a row. Um, and so just the gravity of that thought process that keep, keeps me awake at night, thinking that something could go wrong. But then the fact that, that a lot of worship leaders have dozens of volunteers that they're in charge of caring for and training and building up musicians that that need to grow in their gifting as well and caring for them and shepherding them and their families. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, not to mention the, the week, the midweek stuff of planning what the songs are going to be, making sure they're the right songs, making sure that the content is, um, is in line with scripture and all the stuff that goes into that. A lot of people will, will not, they, a lot of people just don't realize the gravity of that responsibility. Um, so, yeah, does that does that make sense to you? Oh, I, I think it does, and I think it helps for a lot of people to just pull back and go, what we see on Sunday morning, which is a, a, a musician who is leading us in worship, who is, and, and as I've often said, you can't lead people in worship unless you're going there yourself. You have to be a worshiper first to lead people in worship. So assuming that that he's not a performer or that she's not a performer, that they are actually worshiping and leading in worship, we just, we don't see all that goes into that both uh, emotionally and what goes into that in terms of of planning and orchestration. And I, I just hope that folks who are listening will take, uh, have a fresh appreciation for the the person who is leading them in worship on Sunday mornings and maybe just go up and say, you know, this looks effortless to a lot of people, but I know a lot of work goes into this and I'm grateful for the, the time you spend. To get a comment like that from somebody in the congregation, can, it's life-giving to a worship pastor, isn't it? Absolutely. And there's one other thing I would add to that, too. The other thing that goes unnoticed is 
in a lot of senses, like even throughout history, when right before a battle, you even see it in the movies, they put the noisemakers and the musicians up front yeah. on the front line. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and we don't need to get into that. But but what we what we share with all of the worship pastors that we're caring for is they need to realize that they're on the front lines of the battle, whether they like it or not. And they have the people of God behind them, and it's our job to create this battle cry, getting the army of God united. And music is that uniting tool. And so when you're on the front lines of the battle, you've got a giant target on your chest. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who have been in ministry, you know, senior pastors are there too. Um, But they've got this giant target on their chest, and they're going to be the first ones to interact with the arrows that are coming against the enemy. And so it's not just what's even happening on the staff or on the stage, but when they're off the stage during the week, the attack from the enemy, he is ruthless. And he knows that if he can take down the worship leader, if he can take down those, those in leadership in the church, then the flock will scatter. You know, and he would love to burn out another worship leader, which we see all the time, or to cause a worship leader to go into depression and to doubt. And, um, and we see that the fallout from that is usually catastrophic. And even here in Orange County, I mean, there have actually been over the past couple of years, um, a couple, um, couple pastors have actually taken their own lives from depression that people didn't even know about. Yeah. Stuff that was going on internally, and it makes perfect sense because that is what the enemy wants to do, is he wants to take out these ministry leaders. And there's something about the musician, and um, David Jeremiah has a whole sermon series on on um, on Lucifer and, and the, the history of who he was in, in heaven at, at one time, but uh, there, there, there are some scriptures that back up the fact that he was actually the chief worship leader in heaven, yep. um, and and had musical musical abilities. And so, of course, the enemy is going to know exactly how to go after these worship leaders. And I've experienced it myself. Mm. You know, whether it's through uh, thoughts of fear and doubt and sleepless nights of trying to figure out you know, who I am in Christ and, and, and not letting my career or my job all consume me. And so it's a lot of stuff. But I think when people realize that we're on the front lines, there's some, the more love they can give to these leaders and support is, is going to be a win-win for the church as a whole. You know what I mean, Bob? I do. We're talking with Justin Unger about worship leaders, about worship in the local church, about where we are and about what needs to change. Justin leads a ministry called Likewise Worship. You can check that out online. Just Google his his web. What is it? Is it likewiseworship.com? Yeah, that's it. Likewiseworship.com. Find out more about what they're doing. We're going to continue talking about worship and worship leaders after this time out. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. It's Justin Unger. You can uh, pull him up on Spotify. 
uh, with he's got a collection of Christmas songs as well as other uh, music that he's recorded over the years. He's joining us this afternoon, and we're talking about worship in the local church and worship leaders and the challenges that worship leaders are facing today. And I know, Justin, I want to talk about worship, but but I think we need to just brag on your boys for just a minute. Tell everybody what they won uh, four weeks ago. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, my boys are—we moved here uh, to Orange County— um, we're in Huntington Beach area, and it was about five years ago when we came out here to launch our Orange County Likewise Division. But my boys took up surfing. Um, I have a 16-year-old son and a 13-year-old son that really, it just caught on really quick. Like within the first year and a half, they were already trying to do competitions. Well, just uh, about a month ago, my my oldest won first place in the longboarding contest with the CCSA um, circuit. And then my 13-year-old won the championship uh, in the shortboard for the boys' division, which was just so cool to see them uh, grow in that. And then I have two other kids. My daughter, Ethne, is 14, and she's our beach volleyball girl. And and then Eli is our 10-year-old salesman. Uh, well, so yeah. so let me get back to to the issue of worship, and I I know you well enough to know that um, you're not going to be somebody who is going to be highly critical. It, it's just not your personality or temperament to be highly critical uh, of of what you see going on in local churches. But as you look at the evangelical church in America, and particularly how we are doing with our corporate worship. What do you think are the most important things we need to be remembering or doing differently? How can we get better than we are, do you think? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I, I think about um, what happened in Europe, you know, a couple decades ago. And Matt Redman could talk all day about this. But, I mean, he even wrote a song through some of the challenges that that just the church in Europe was facing which obviously history repeats itself because America is going through a very similar, um, similar cultural shift. And so especially with the, the gathering of the saints where it's become about performance and things have gotten watered down. But really what I would say just to encourage worshipers, the people of God, is, I mean, never to give up the, uh, on, on the hope of what the body of Christ is designed for and what the equipping of the saints really is going to do for a broken world. And that's why we gather to celebrate not only what God has done, but what he's going to do. We come together for a rally. We become one again. I mean, we, we shed all of the distractions, all the stuff that our, our broken culture uh, spews at us throughout the week, and then we, we become unified once again on our gatherings, and we go out to do the good work of the gospel in our communities. And there's something about our singing together that helps um, helps bind all that together. And when I think about that, I think about Colossians 3, um, where it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. One body. And I look at the church right now, we are 
so divided. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lack of peace even amidst the body. There's divisions on all different spectrums of what's going on in our society. But he says, um, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, and let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, which with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And that's why the the songs we sing are so important. And you hear in that passage what it means to be thankful, letting thankfulness be on our lips. And with, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encouraging and admonishing one another, letting our time together that equipping time where we can be a community, be something that heals us, heals our hearts, but that ultimately unites us that we may be one as Christ and the Father are one. That's really my heart, uh, because I have seen so much division in all the different churches that I have visited. And just like you said, Bob, I could, I could easily become uber cynical or critical of all the different churches I go into, but really my heart breaks for the local church. And through that brokenness, my love for the church grows deeper because I really believe that if we get strong, humble leadership in the church, we're going to see a shift happen, and we're going to see the body of Christ become more united in a very divided world that we live in. What should the relationship between a senior pastor and a worship pastor be? How do they work together in providing corporate worship? Man, I've seen this very rarely accomplished, and I know that sounds kind of negative, but um, there's there's just right now in the church, there's just a lot of of, of turmoil amidst the body, um, and a lot of that is, Um, a reflection of the leadership as well in the Church. And I don't mean to be negative, but um, at the same time, there's just this—this bar is so high for senior pastors and lead pastors to accomplish a certain goal, and the comparison game is through the roof, where you're trying to compare your church to the other church and growth strategies and growth— and that becomes all-consuming for these lead pastors. And so they have this growth strategy that a lot of times takes the place of the relationships that they need to be developing in the church, into their their staff itself. And I really think that the, the, the best way to do this for senior leaders and for worship leaders, it takes humility on both ends. Uh, and and selfless leadership, servant leadership, to say, hey, I am going to pastor my team first. I'm going to shepherd and care for my team first. And so everybody with their shepherding gifts, caring for one another, and letting that be then a reflection of what could happen amidst the body. And so having that relationship, that that intentional uh, closeness uh, amidst the team is so important. And I think about Jesus and his disciples. And even though they all had different personalities, and if they were all to take the strength finders or Enneagram, they would all have different strengths and weaknesses, but they found a way 
to come together in the end and to be unified for the one mission God's called us to. And so that's what I believe um, the, the Church can encompass, and having that intimate disciple relationship that would bind them together so that the Church, the body of Christ, would look on that and reflect that same truth. The next four weeks for most worship pastors is going to be, well, there are, there are really two times of the year that are intense, Christmas and Easter. But the Christmas season is maybe one of the most intense seasons for a worship pastor, right? Yeah. These next, yeah, these next four weeks are probably the highest demand. And I would say that from experience, um, 15 years in full-time worship pastoring ministry, uh, it's just there's a lot of pressure on Christmas. So many people depend on the experience of Christmas and the feeling of Christmas, and a lot of those experiences and feelings, the leadership of the Church leans into the worship leader to be creative on how to create an environment where people get those nostalgic Christmas feelings with Advent and all that, which there's actually, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I think, you know, we we, we serve and worship a God that has emotions, and, and, and I think creating really healthy and biblical environments for people to remember. I mean, that's what our gatherings are supposed to be, and that's what Christmas and Easter is, is our times of remembrance of what God did, on what, what He did for us intimately and personally, but what, he's, what He did for the world. And so we take those opportunities with these holidays really serious in church ministry to put our best foot forward and allow um, a, a bright light to shine in our church community. So there's a really cool thing about that, but it can also be very overwhelming. And that's the point. That I, comparison I, game. Yeah, I, I wanted to jump yeah. in there and just say, think about that with your worship pastor in your church over the next four weeks and find ways to bless him, bless the team, encourage them and equip them. Justin, we, we've run out of time. We could talk for a long time. I'm so grateful for you <laughs> and your yeah. ministry. LikewiseWorship.com is where people can find out more about the ministry. They can check you out on Spotify. Thanks for joining us this afternoon, brother. Oh, thank you so much. We love you guys. And we will see you back tomorrow again for another edition of uh, Southern California Live here on KKLA.